hear the word of God from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version, and you can find this reading on page 862 in the Pew Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. By now... New Year's Eve, many folks have put away their decorations and wrapped up their Christmas tree lights until next year. But because today is technically the seventh day of Christmas, and I would add, um, I'm a little disappointed that my idea for a swimming pool with seven swans a swimming to mark the day didn't make it past the worship committee. Um, We will be uh, waiting and, and enjoying the Christmas glow a little bit longer Several Christmases ago, when I was in seminary, I had an after-school job where I was a nanny for a family that had two-year-old twins and a six-month-old. And each day, from three to five, I would cook supper, I would read books, and I would play games with the kids. And as a seminarian, I was very keen to use every opportunity I had for some Christian education. So one day in mid-December, I finished reading a children's nativity story to the two-year-old twins, Mitch and Vivian, and I asked them excitedly, who comes on Christmas? I was expecting them to say, Jesus, but instead they squealed with delight, Santa! Of course they would, of course they would. Their two-year-old selves would look straight to Santa because he's the one who brings us the gifts, and the joy on Christmas morning. 
This Santa Claus, remembered in church history as St. Nicholas, who was Bishop of Myra, did bring presents to children in need. He's remembered for bringing little uh, bags of gold to a family that had three daughters who were dangerously close to being sold into slavery. So we have this legacy of gift-giving and, um, and justice work. And he leaves us that today. And children all over the world are excited and eagerly anticipate a visit from Santa or Father Christmas or Kris Kringle. There is another legend associated with St. Nicholas that has less to do with generosity and giving to orphans and more to do with him losing his temper. So legend has it that at the Ecumenical Council of Nicaea in the year 325, there was vigorous and polarizing debate about who is Jesus. There are differing opinions all around. St. Nicholas took the view that Jesus is truly God and has always existed even in the beginning, as we read in the gospel this morning. Well, a different bishop, Arius, was arguing that God begat Jesus and that Jesus wasn't exactly the same as God, our friend, St. Nicholas, became so enraged with the heresy that he marched straight over to Arius and punched him in the face. Which inspires this meme that my church nerd friends and I circulate uh, at this time of year. Now, I don't condone the violence in this story. Not only is it wrong, it's usually a very ineffective communication tool. You don't really get your message across with your fist. But I don't want us to miss something very important about the misguided and over-the-top reaction that we see in St. Nicholas. He clearly felt strongly about the debate, not because he wanted to be right or because he wanted his side to prevail. He felt it was imperative for the church and for the world to know and proclaim the truth about who Jesus Christ is. What is remarkable and jaw-dropping and awe-inspiring about the way Jesus Christ came to us, how God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ, is just that. That God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God didn't send someone else to be with us. God didn't stand at a distance from us. God sent us Emmanuel, God with us. This is the incarnation that God put on flesh and lived among us, walked and talked and ate among us, sang and stubbed his toe among us, and danced and preached and loved among us. It is as if the very person of Jesus Christ is God saying to us, I want humanity to see my face. I want humanity to hear my voice. 
I want humanity to smell my sweat, to eat my body. I want to live their life, and I want them to live my life. What's curious to me about the way God broke through to live among us is the humility of the Incarnation. That Christ was born as a baby, just like you and me. He needed help growing up and becoming a person. He did not arrive with any pomp and circumstance or any big spectacle. He didn't arrive with any power, not in the traditional ways that we're accustomed to seeing power. He had no political authority or military might. He was not even born to a wealthy family. Boltmann says that the core paradox of the Incarnation is that the glory of God is seen in the flesh. The greatness and the wonder of God that exists outside of the limitations of time and space is seen most clearly in Jesus before us in a body. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Both statements are true. I'm reminded of the words of the Nicene Creed, another statement of faith found in the same part of the hymnal as the one we read together this morning. The words say, For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made human for us. For us. For us. It's not always easy to receive the gift of Christ at Christmas. With so many other competing priorities and voices, it's hard to hear the still small voice of God saying, my love and grace is for you, a free gift without price, given for you. My life and death is for you. My resurrection is for you. The incarnation, God becoming man so that we can be partakers of God's divine nature. The creation account in Genesis uh, tells us that we are created in God's image. In Christ, divinity was clothed in humanity so that humanity might be clothed in divinity. Jesus is the crowning revelation of what it means to stand here with one foot in the finite world, one foot in the infinite, bridging the gap in our heart and creating out of that wholeness divine love. One classic illustration of the incarnation comes to us from Kierkegaard, who likens the incarnation to a rich king. Once upon a time, there was a very rich but very unhappy king. 
and happy because he was all alone in his empty palace. How he longed for a wife with whom to share his life. Then one day, the king saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen riding through the streets. Enquiries revealed that she was a peasant girl, but the king's heart was captivated. He would make sure that each day he rode past her house in hopes of catching a glimpse of her beauty. But the king had a problem. How would he win her love? He could draw up a royal decree, commanding her to become his queen. But then he could never be sure that he had won her love, because she would be required to obey a royal decree. Perhaps he could call on her and try to win her over. He could appear in all of his regal glory and sweep her off her feet. But then he could never be sure that he actually won her love, or had she only married him for his riches and power. Finally, he came up with the perfect plan. He would come to her as a peasant. That was the only way to truly win her love. So he abandoned his palace and his riches and his comfort, and he put on the clothes of a peasant, and he went and lived among the peasants. He worked with them. He suffered with them. He danced at their feasts until finally, dressed as a peasant and living the life of a peasant, he won the heart of the woman who captured his. So it is with God. Christ became one of us, lived among us, worked among us, suffered among us, all in order to win our hearts. It seems to me that this story could be distilled to one sentence in the words of Paula Darcy, who says that God comes to you disguised as your life. God comes to you disguised as your life. The incarnation changes God's relationship to humanity and humanity's relationship to God. The incarnation means that human beings can see, hear, and know God in ways never before possible. The relationship between divinity and humanity is completely transformed. And because of the incarnation, we are able, we are given intimate, palpable, bodily access to the cosmic reality of God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that God is not ashamed of human beings. God marches right in. God chooses people as instruments and performs wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. God loves the lost, the neglected, 
the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. It is said that our sacraments, like baptism and communion, are outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. The word becoming flesh can be seen as maybe God's first sacrament. Christ is the outward and visible representation, the embodiment of God's love for us. And human beings are the outward and visible signs and carriers of God's inward and spiritual presence. In the same way, the gospel tells us that John was sent to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. That is what you and I are called to do. To testify to the light which God has sent into the world in Christ. The light which illuminates our hearts and our lives. The light which overcomes the darkness, even the darkness that we see today. The light which shines on all people. We can join John in witnessing to that light. John's goal in this gospel is to make God known to us. We could say, in other words, the goal is to make God's love real to us. The desires both to know and to be known completely are some of the deepest desires of the human heart. But they're also desires which we share with God's heart. Whether man or woman, young or old, introvert or extrovert, Christ enters the world in flesh and lives our life and knows us completely and our human experience. He was hungry and he had headaches. He knew laughter and heartbreak, anger and frustration. He probably had a favorite food and more than likely he got blisters. And he celebrated at parties and he wept when he lost someone that he loved. At this time, pretty much every year, we are often asked, what are our New Year's resolutions going to be? Usually there's some type of self-improvement goal like health and wellness or finally tackling the finances or even spiritual goals like praying more often and taking more opportunities to serve others. What if, hear me out, what if, in addition to those very worthy commitments, we all resolved to be witnesses to the light? We can't be the Messiah. We don't have to be the Messiah. That's Christ's role alone. But we can join with John in bearing witness to the light that we have seen and experienced in and through Christ Jesus. Perhaps our New Year's resolutions can be twofold. 
First, to participate in the redemption of the world. And secondly, to point to God's glory as we see it all around us. This healed relationship. This hope in what felt like a hopeless circumstance. This moment of simple generosity. This is God, and we have witnessed to the light. And it just so happens there are a number of ways to do that here at Hyde Park. Next week, the sermon series begin will focus on just that. You could get involved with a small group and take a service opportunity with open arms or with the hospitality team or with any of the ministries here at the church. We would all do well to start the new year in prayer, in listening for what it is that God is trying to show us. If God comes to us disguised as our life, what invitation does the incarnation have for you? What is God trying to show you by shining the light in your direction? What do you want God to know about you? And what more do you want to know of God? How will you and how will we, together, bear the light of Christ to shine on all people, to know God and to make God known? Amen.